0: Welcome to Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Hirschman and today I've got Pat Gallagher along with Pam Gardner, uh, two longtime execs in the baseball industry. Really fortunate to have the two of them on today. And we're going to talk a little bit about Pam's background as the former president of the Houston Astros and all of the other accomplishments she's had throughout her career and kind of where Pat's intersected within uh, the baseball landscape with her as well. We'll kind of go from there. So, Pat, you want to take it away and
1: introduce Pam? Yeah. Hey, Pam, thank you so much for agreeing to do this. It's a, uh, you know, you're. I've been looking forward to speaking with you, not only to find out sort of where you're, the things that you're doing now, but really to talk about your time with the Astros and, and how you, you know, how you got there. I mean, you started out in the ad business. You were in the agency business somewhere. Um, how did you jump from, the agency business uh, to baseball
2: I guess I was in the right place at the right time I was um, vice president of an ad agency in Chicago and we um, specialized in working with Broadway theater traveling touring productions and sports um, uh, different sports things we worked with the White Sox Michael Jordan um, little things like that anyway I moved to Houston Um, for family reasons, and sent a resume to the Astros, and the person who was in charge of marketing, advertising, had just left. So um, it was truly right place at the right time. Uh, That started the the ball (laughs) rolling in 1989.
1: So you sent a blind resume uh, to the Astros. I mean, it's it's amazing. I guess that's a good lesson out there uh, is that, you know, Timing's everything, but you sort of have to be, you do have to be at the right place, the right time with the right background. And so when you started out with the Astros, you were, uh, as I recall, you were in communications. That's really how you, how you right. got in. That's Talk right. a little bit about that and, and sort of your, it's sort of the progress, you know, your, your progression with the Astros, because, you know, for a long time you progressed, you were you know, one of the, if not the most prominent uh, woman in, uh, in baseball, which, You know is is great but that also comes with a, a certain amount of you know challenges and opportunities
2: well there was certainly some angst along the way but um but it was a great journey i can say that um i you know it's an interesting journey because i worked for three different owners and um through six different general managers um so it was a long journey i was there about 23 years i started as as the director of communications um, the club was sold and I was kept on and I was moved to director of sales and marketing, then to vice president of sales and marketing, senior vice president, you know, the, the, the drill. And then, um, the, we built the stadium along the way, which I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but I just kept moving along, uh, up the ladder. I actually, um, was thinking of leaving the team, and at that time the current pre- the, the gentleman that was the president was leaving and Drayton asked me would I take that job so um, so i 've had a number of roles throughout the years my last eleven years was as the president
1: but you actually were with two different ownership groups i mean didn 't you start with the with the McMullen group and yeah. then um, you know and that's you know a lot of times that's that 's sort of the time to leave somebody wants to bring in. Uh, you know, somebody knew uh, their people. Why do you think that um, that Drayton wanted you to stay?
2: Well, you know, it was interesting. Drayton had a really different philosophy, as you know. Um, He came in and he actually said to the entire team, look, I don't know anything about baseball. Uh, You all do. I'm going to leave everything as it is for the next year, see if you like me and I like you. So he really kept nearly everyone um, with very little exception. And then as the year went by, you know, some people left on their own and some didn't quite fit with his his style. Um, actually, I didn't quite fit with his style. It took him a while to get used to me. We kind of circled the <laughs> wagons a little bit. You know, he owned a truck yeah. company in central Texas. He was used to working with truck drivers.
1: With guys. <laughs>
2: with a bunch of guys. So I was kind of a stretch. Um, and we really had to get to know each other before, you know, we moved forward with a, a really good partnership for many, many years.
0: Pam, I gotta, I gotta ask as you've worked for multiple bosses, especially owners, you know, with, with, uh, probably a very, um, quick, you know, trigger in terms of being able to kind of do what they want. How did you adapt in those situations and, and what was the approach that you took? Uh, as you were working with different people and then also having different people underneath you as well?
2: Well, that's a good question. Uh, Dr. McMullen on the team, uh, when I came in, he was from New Jersey. I rarely, in fact, I had one interaction with him. I worked for him for almost four years. Uh, (laughs) I was down at spring training and he walked into the press room and he looked at me and he said, Hey, honey, where's the coffee? That was my entire (laughs) conversation. Dr
0: McMullen
2: um I wasn't quite high enough up on the chain. he didn't come to Houston very often, so when Drayton bought the team um, so I worked for people that worked for him, so I didn't have much direct con- any direct contact with him and then Drayton bought the club, and of course he was very hands on I mean Dr. McMullen was called Dr. McMullen, and then Drayton McLean came in and he said, "Call me Drayton so it was a um, really a three hundred sixty it was very very different um you had to get up to speed with Drayton or you would perish, I guess. way <laughs> it. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> yeah. And so at that time you had, you know, you were, you know, you inherited a lot of staff and, and also at that point, um, it, it describe also, you know, the, the sort of the, you know, developing the culture that would not only bring this all together under a new owner who was, you know, not familiar with the game, but also would propel you into eventually figuring out how to get a new ballpark built.
2: You know, that's where I really bonded with Drayton because um, he had a very small inner circle. I wasn't in it, obviously when he first bought the club, he's a very gung ho guy, very, very different, um, but he was a marketer. And so from that perspective, um, we, we did gel because he understood the value of marketing. So, Every player that you traded for, um, every every single thing that you did was relevant to marketing, and he understood that. He was he still is a, a great marketer. So um, that that really was what gelled us. We started the process on the stadium in the late nineties. Um, and there were actually um, four of us that worked on the project. I really did because I organized a lot of the women's groups um, because we had to pass a referendum. So I organized a lot of the women's groups and I produced a lot of the marketing materials around building the stadium. So um, so that's when I really got to know him because we all had to work together. If we didn't get the referendum passed, we wouldn't have a stadium.
1: And so the the in that referendum, it was a – you know, at least part of the funding, maybe all the funding was uh, was through uh, taxpayers, right?
2: Well, actually, it was through car and hotel rental. So it wasn't ah. tax- on uh, on the Houstonians, which really was the benefit. But we only passed the referendum by one percent.
1: Yeah, uh, it was the vi- it was the visitors who really helped pay. Right. The hotel yeah. taxes. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> it's those that
2: couldn't vote that, uh, yeah. <laughs> that took the hit, unfortunately. However, well. it's been great for the city and it's paid back a, a thousand times. So um, you know, we had to have a new stadium. I mean, we were in the Astrodome, which was built in 1965 with 55,000 seats. And you're looking at, Pat, you know the story. You guys oh yeah. at the same time we did. Um, looking at, you know, 10,000 empty seats in the outfield because that's the way it was, and we weren't a well, very good ball club.
1: And also, you know, the, the Astrodome referred to as the seventh wonder of the world, or the eighth <laughs> wonder of the world, I guess, when it was built, uh, you know, Judge Judge Roy Hoffheins. right? And uh, actually a guy that I worked for at the Giants, Speck Richardson, who was the uh, general manager. And it's, you know, so at the time, time was great. I mean, it was most famous early on when, uh, when the Giants were actually came there to play. I'm not sure if it was a regular season game or an exhibition game, and you know probably the greatest center fielder of all time. And <laughs> a pop fly went into the outfield, and he couldn't see it right. because of all the the glass on the roofs on the roof, which all of a sudden uh, had to be changed, and then they had to develop this stuff called AstroTurf, which uh, to replace the natural grass. And, you know, the the story after that is uh, is pretty amazing. But um, so but during during the time when you were going through the new sort of the new stadium stuff, um, you know, at least one of the things that you would have to contend with is you'd have to have people who would be working on the sort of on the new effort. Right. But you have to have people who are concentrating on running the business. Right. And then a few a few of you would have two full time jobs in that you would be, you know, you would be kind of straddling this whole thing. Describe how you how you did that.
2: Well, you know, I honestly, Pat, when I look back on it, I think I was too young to know <laughs> to, to be, be afraid <laughs> of it all. But. Um, Building the stadium was a thrill because the way that we did it, which was a little bit different, is that Drayton funded the uh, design before the referendum uh, passed. So we didn't have a lot of interference from, uh, you know, a lot of political pressure. We didn't have, uh, you know, everybody shows up to tell you what they want in the stadium. Sure. So um, there were actually four of us, Drayton, uh, Bob McLaren, who was president at the time, and then, of course, Tal Smith, an all-time great front office person himself and the four of us actually um did design and concept on the stadium how many seats how many suites where the stadium faces do you want the, you, the whole deal yeah mm-hmm. and um and so it, it, it the the stadium was just the most thrilling thing to work on. Now, trying to work on the business, I think what I would tell you is that, you know, if you hire good people and they do their jobs, then yours is more oversight and hopefully you get to that place and hopefully we were somewhere around there at the time that um, I really had a great staff that really pulled through and, and got it done. So, I, But I will tell you, I wasn't home very much.
0: <laughs> yeah. um, was, what, you know,
1: it, you had a, you you were a, you had two full time jobs and then you had a full time job at home because you, you're a you're a mom too. I mean you have you have children.
2: Yep, I had uh, I had two kids and I remember some nights coming home at you know eleven thirty and my my high school age son was waiting for me to go go running with him because that's the only time <laughs> I could do it. <laughs> good boy. That was probably good the good last boy. thing you wanted
0: to do at that point, right?
2: Well, I tell you, I may do it differently. If I, you know, looking back on it, I would do it differently. But you know, when you're living it, you just do it, and um, you know, that's that's life. We just we just did it. I, of course, the great thing is you take your kids to the game with you, so there was an advantage too. But
1: sure. So, yeah. so, so it, it, I, I, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because, aside from you know all the this responsibility, I mean, it, and actually persevering through this. You know, you were recognized, you, you know, voted into to the Texas Baseball Hall of Fame, a lot of accolades. But, you know, to be a woman in this position. So, so what what would you say to to some of the women who are, you know, might be listening to this podcast, maybe new to the business? What, what is it? What is it that that uh, that that you would contribute to sort of your success and moving forward? And and, you know, why did people follow you?
2: You know, I I just, I love leadership. Um, I just think that, you know, a really good leader takes you to a new place. And I've had so many mentors in my life. Um, I would say, you know, midway through my career is when I realized that, well, yes, in fact, that's what you are and you have to, you have a responsibility. Um, And so I, I would, I had this list of things that I was, would always follow and I would always share that with everyone. I worked really hard on um, making our front office diverse, um, gender-wise, um, race, race, religion, everything. We tried to be very inclusive. That was really one of my projects. I, I worked really hard on that. I wish more teams would. I wish baseball would take a bigger role in that. Um, but I, I think people follow me because I was tough but fair. So mm-hmm. the expectations were high, but if you really worked hard and did a great job, then you were you were rewarded for it—not just financially, but in what your position was and how you could move forward. So, um, you know, I think that's just kind of the basic.
0: Pam, in, in terms of you know getting to the level that you did, uh, being a president for eleven years and being the longest tenured you know female exec in in the major leagues. Um, what did you learn along the way? And then the follow-up question to that is, and Pat can chime in as well, but why did you want to be a president? I mean, uh, some, some people in the industry will tell you once they get to that VP, senior VP level, I don't, I don't want to be a general manager. I, I'm I'm good where I'm at, or I don't want to be a president. I don't want all that weight on my shoulders. Um, what was it about, you know, having that position and, and then having that responsibility that, uh, motivated you to get there
2: you know i i had a really good team and um and the team stayed we stayed together a long time um i m- my question to you would be who wouldn't want to be a president of <laughs> but but that's how i'm wired so so sure. um so i'm i'm wired to do the next thing and do the next thing and what can we do that's better and how can we make it greater um a boy i've learned a lot of things over time i was you know obviously very young when i started um but the some of the things i learned early on is that you don't have to be the one with all the answers you don't have to know all the answers you know your job is to lead and if and you find the answers by surrounding yourself with good people so i think um that's really one of the basic things that um that i felt we felt as though we did well um on the business side, and that was that was a really hard thing to learn because sometimes you think you are supposed to have all the answers well no, and I always made it a point to hire people that were smarter than I was at the other areas uh, of the business uh, because the more people you have that are smarter than you the you know the higher you all go is so- there is,
1: is there a particularly tough decision that you made that you you know that you, <laughs> that you may want to either admit or talk about but it's you know it it, it, to be the leader to be the president to to do it you know you it's sort of in a lot of ways you know you get all the bad assignments you know things have (laughs) to (laughs) meaning that you know you have to make the you know that you have to make the long putts al rosen used to say you know you've got you've got to make the long putt and so tell me about any of the decisions that you had to make along the way that that were really difficult and um and sort of what happened?
2: Wow, there were a lot of difficult decisions. Wow, um, we all have stories, as you know, and we all make mistakes. Um, but I think leaders learn from their mistakes. Um, tough decisions. I think the hardest was always um, uh, indeed. Oh man, with-
0: <laughs> Pat, you put her on the spot. No, no, I'm, no I'm, I, can,
1: I, I can, I can, can feel that she's sweating right through the phone. You're it's right. great. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know,
2: um, I, you know, I always felt like uh, that most of my time was sp- spent on the people, developing people, making sure they did the right thing. I think one of the hardest decisions is when you have to move someone on who isn't doing the right thing. Um, uh, you emailed me and said you weren't going to ask me about Enron, but you know, I mean, well, you fun. gave me
1: a, you gave me an open door, so let me set this up a little bit um, <laughs> and because I also did a deal with Enron when we built, you know, Pacific oh, Bell right? Park. You so do. they were, I mean, a major deal with Enron. Yeah. And this was, you know, I traveled to Houston, was in the big building, in the glass building. I went to the, the trading floor. At least I think it was the real trading floor, not the phony one. And I'm <laughs> <laughs> not sure. But, um, but the, you, the name of your ballpark was Enron Field. I mean, it was, you know, you had you opened up that way. And all of a sudden, when that company sort of went away and in the way they did, tell me about, tell me about what that was like.
2: Wow. I started as a president in August and then I think it was September Enron went under. So um, I'm like, wow, because, you know, I mean, the the revenue from that is uh, significant. Huge. Yeah. Yeah. And their names on our building. So, and they're going through bankruptcy. So that was a real process. I mean, we really had, I mean, first of all, we wanted to take the name off the building immediately, but we couldn't wait because they were going through bankruptcy. So uh, we had to negotiate getting our name back so we could call it Astro's Field until we could find a new naming partner. So that was really the first step. And Mm -hmm. then uh, we actually had to buy our name back. Uh, which is a wow. story, <laughs> uh, ironically, and then um, my first assignment was really, um, trying to find a new naming rights partner. And, um, we spent months on that and it just going out and meeting with people and getting it done. That was probably one of the toughest things. Um, and then, you you know, you never know if you're making the right decision. You make the decision you think is best at the time, which I think, I mean, obviously was a great decision. We ended up with Minute Maid. You couldn't have gotten any further away. Uh, you, you couldn't get any more holes. You
1: know, <laughs> no, it's great.
2: Than Minute Maid. Um, but we had several suitors. So we had to we really had to work through that. That was in the heyday of naming rights. But that was um, that was a tough time. It was a tough time for the whole city, as you might imagine, let alone just the stadium.
1: Well, all the people, and I remember even the people that I dealt with at, at Enron. You know, some of them, you know, some of them managed to get out and and you know get get out with their uh, with their lives. Some of them uh, didn't, and uh, it was it was very sad. But it's one of those things that uh, you know taught me a lesson about uh, I guess about trust in a way, uh, and, and but also having the He's sort of having the if your ideas are bright and your intentions are right, you know, you can work your way through these things. And it was a you know, I, I, I have to admit, we had to deal with our own little Enron issue in San Francisco with what we what they contributed to our ballpark. But but I didn't have their name on the ballpark. Right. <laughs> I mean, you, you covered up. Did you actually cover up all the signage and make it Astros ballpark before Minute Bait came?
2: Oh, we actually yes, we actually took the name down. The um, signage down, and we called it Astros Field until we um, until we located a, a. You know the smartest thing we ever did is when we built the stadium we did not put their logo on the side of the seats. The forty uh,
0: <laughs> oh my goodness, yeah, I can only imagine
2: because we had to make that decision before we had a naming rights partner. So all it said, all wow. the seat standards said Astros Baseball. Thank, thank.
1: Well, it, it, and I'll tell you, I wasn't that smart. We had a there was a company in the Bay area called uh web van. I don't know if you remember that name, but Webvan was a grocery delivery company. And we, I did put their name. It was Pacific bell park, but it, it had web van was on 40,000 cup holders. Oh. Every one of the seats. Oh. oh. And when, when they went under, we actually, we actually had a crew go and had to scrape the name off oh of 40,000 cup holders. But, you know, it's just one of the things that you do. And, uh, you know, it's, it, I think that, it, you know, in an organization, I think you try to develop, you know, like you did, Pam, a, a good culture so that you, I think your customers also, if you try to do things, always make the right decision. But if you always try to make the right decision, sometimes they give you credit for, uh, you know, for for, for for running it right.
2: Yeah. It, and sometimes you don't get the credit, but you run it right anyway. That's true. So, it, it, that's kind of the way it is. I mean, we, we had a thing, um, you know, Drayton used to always say, uh, just do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, operate with honesty and integrity. And it was never more clear than, um, after that episode, but, but if your your intention is always to do the right thing, then um, it is do work out. Yeah. One
1: of one of your one of your big accomplishments all this was uh, you were able to put together a I think it was a complicated, but it was a great um, a broadcasting deal, television deal, and I think didn't you also uh, do it with the uh, with the Rockets?
2: We did, we did, and that was uh, yeah, that was. Uh, that was actually near the end of my tenure, I, I, just before Jim Crane bought the team, a couple of years before that. Um, yeah, we put it together with the Rockets. The Rockets actually sat out a year without a, a TV contract to link, sync up with us, and we it, it just was one of those serendipitous things that worked. Um, of course, then we transitioned, and, and uh, the new ownership group came in, and they they viewed the business in a different way and, uh, have gone a different direction from what we had set up. But, um, you know, that was, uh, that was, that was one of the all time toughest deals. I think I ever did <laughs> other than selling the team. That was, that was, a that was, well,
1: well you got thing. a chance to be in that and you you got a chance to do it and you got out and you got out, you know, you sort of got out on your own terms, yep. which, you know, a lot of people don't get a chance to do that. And, And and also none of any of us who are in this, nobody gets to do this forever, but you got to do it, have great success with it, get out. And and um, and now you're on to something else. And I I was looking and I was going to ask you about, um, uh, you know, because you're not in baseball anymore. You had a terrific career and you moved on and you're you're running an organization um, called Your Mind at Work Now. What's that all about?
2: So when I got out, I did, um, uh, I was tired, as you might imagine. <laughs> uh, and um, I spent the first couple of years really um, doing community work. I did a lot of political work. I, I um, chaired the mayor's finance committee for her run. Um, I chaired the mayor's committee to end chronic homelessness in Houston. I sat on the sports authority board. Um, I'm on the board of a, a um, of an oil company. Um so I, I did a lot of community and other kind of work for a couple of years and kind of settled in. I had a couple of opportunities to do things um related to baseball, not in baseball but related to. But quite frankly, you know, I sat down Pat and I thought to myself, I've seen mm-hmm. over three thousand games. I <laughs>
1: <laughs> and a lot of them are forgettable right? uh, most of them
2: are forgettable <laughs> and, um anyway and so um you know the organization I have is just a small small organization uh, with a friend of mine and it's ju- it's a consulting firm that works with people on leadership and that kind of thing so we really uh I'm not as active as you would think I'm not running this multi level organization. I'm working when I want to doing consulting things um, as they come up. So um, it's on my terms this time.
1: That's good. So, so there's going to be a lot of uh, people in the business uh, who will be listening to this. There'll be some who are aspire to get into our business. Tell me, you know, it's, you know, I, I, I love what you said before. Sometimes you do things because you don't know any better. But um, which, you know, I can subscribe to that. But um, what would you say to um, to some of the young so to some of the young women who are listening to this? Fortunately, our our industry is uh, is much more inclusive than it was still has a a ton of a, a ton of ways to go. But what would you say to them?
2: You know, I always tell people to, well, my philosophy on hiring people anyway was to hire the best people, not based on what their degree was or their pedigree or their uh, just really hardworking people because I think you can take anyone who's smart and strong and put them in a role and they'll flourish. Um, I always tell young women, get your foot in the door. Well, I tell young men this too. Get your foot Mm -hmm. in the door, take any job you can, work your tail off, And look for opportunity and then go in and ask for it. Um, That's the best way that you can get in and move. I have to tell you, though, Pat, I really feel like it depends on who the leadership group is, if you're going to be successful or not. They have to be open to it. Mm -hmm. You have to be open to wanting women in leadership positions in order for you to get in and move up. Um, Unfortunately, some aren't. Um, But those that are, get in, take any job, do it um don't expect to start at the top as a lot of people you know i have a masters degree and blah 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 i should be the vice president of and that's not how it works in baseball as you know it doesn't no and the biggest disservice i think that the colleges <laughs> do now so many have sports programs and every kid thinks they're going to work in the major leagues and I, you know take anything you can in any sport that you can and learn as much as you can and then go in and ask for it. So, and. No, the,
1: we've seen a lot, of, a lot of people who have started as interns. Right. Um, that's how Jake started and uh, started as interns. And I, you know, I think that's probably a good way to not only, not only, you know, make, make it a little less mysterious about actually what happens, but also, you know, you, be, you sort of become a known quantity.
2: Right. That's exactly right, because once once you're in and you understand the culture and you fit in the culture, you have a better opportunity to, to get in and move up. Um, I would still like to see more women in the business. And I think the only way that that'll happen is if people make a concerted effort to hire women um, and then uh, move them along, give them the same opportunity. But like I said, it depends on who owns the team and, you know, who's in charge.
0: Pam, how, how do you, you know, if you're in that position of, you know, like you said, going and asking for the opportunity when you see one, how do you find out or what are the right questions to ask in order to figure that out if you're in the right place to, to, to make that ask, right? Because you don't want to make it if, if uh, the answer is going to be no, and, and you probably know that ahead of time. Um, what, are, what are some of the things that you would advise people to, to look at or, or think about?
2: Well, that's a good question. I would, you know, and I'd like to hear Pat's thoughts on that as well, because I had an open door uh, philosophy. I mean, our doors were always open. Mine was always open. Anyone that wanted to come and ask a question about where they stood or what their potential was would come in. I mean, I still have young women that work for me that call me and ask me about a situation that they have and what they should do. So, I mean, my, if, if you were working for me, I would tell you, just come into my office and say, what are my opportunities here?
1: Um, it's not, you know, it, it, I think you're right. Pamps. It's If you approach it that way, it's, it's not necessarily that complicated. I mean, I always say that, you know, we're not smashing atoms here. You know, we're not discovering a cure for a disease that kills people. We're supposedly in the fun business, and the fun business is – you know, it's it's can be difficult at times, but it's, you know, the visibility of it uh, sometimes, you know, sort of gets in the way of the actual business of actually making it happen. And it's, you know, I think our customers also listen to the customers. I, I would always describe, and I there, I did a previous podcast, uh, you know, it, and I, oversimplification of people. But, you know, I sort of looked at them as that either you're a problem solver or you're a problem creator. And that's a total oversimplification in it. And it it uh, but it what what it Double means trail. is you know, well what, yeah what it means is that you know is that look everybody's got a boss everybody's got a problem to solve so I'm sitting there across the table trying to figure out whether you're going to come be part of our team I'm trying to figure out are you gonna are you gonna help me solve problems or are you gonna be a bigger problem and you know sometimes you can't tell and if you make a mistake in that um, in that vein you have to you have to sort of admit your own mistakes sometimes which we all make, we, everybody makes. And so, but it was, it, it is, I guess the, 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 the good part of this picture is it's a, it's a, it's an incredibly great business and it's a great, you know, you're talking about something that these are community assets. I mean, uh, you know, the Astros look what the Astros mean to the, to the Houston community. They, you know, now they've, you know, they are world champions. They've uh, they've, but, but aside from just the baseball stuff, what they've done, to sort of revitalize that part of town. One of the great things you did, Pam, was that a lot of other things happen, um, at Minute Maid, at at Minute Maid other than just baseball.
2: Oh, yes. We had a whole division that, um, just did special events and, um, Well, the Giants did the same thing. You know, I always felt we were very similar in um, what our markets were and, you know, what we could produce and what we could generate and the payrolls that we could support. I always felt, I always looked to your team because you guys were so creative um, and you led that charge.
1: Well, you know, the competition, the real competition's on the field that, you know, it shouldn't be, you know, outside the white lines, we ought to figure out a way to do it i i gotta ask you this one question i've been kind of waiting is that you know the in houston was also the home to the the bush the bush family right and a lot of times you would be watching on television and you'd see you'd see him behind home plate right you know i I always wondered you know if george bush fell asleep you know you'd see him right there you know on (laughs) uh, on, on television (laughs) but but just describe what it was like to to get to know them you know terrific people
2: you know they they are they're Houston sweethearts, obviously, um, they lived there, they lived there, they, they had a home there, and they were such fans, and uh, George Bush was really good friends with Drayton, which is why he ended up with the seats behind home plate, and you know what, they were just kind people, when we um, did our referendum, uh, they came and did a commercial for us, to keep to let's keep the team in houston let's build a stadium george and barbara showed up with their dog millie i mean and they would come down they were just salt of the earth they would come down to the diamond club and you know sit with whoever was down there and just have a um have have dinner and a chat they were just salt of the earth really really great people and they just loved the team so much it was fun to have them
1: regular that was my experience regular people and their son is a you know i mean you know you can argue about his politics but in terms of a person is probably as regular of a guy as as he could be so um but it was a that's the other nice thing about this business is you get to you get to meet uh people that you probably wouldn't ordinarily get to meet
2: oh there's no question i mean we all have stories i think you know drayton once said uh hey would you like to sit in a small group of people talking to Warren Buffett? I'm like, (laughs) yeah, I would. (laughs) And we, we flew to Kansas city and uh, he was there with David Glass, who owned the, owns the rails. And um, uh, he was talking to a small group of executives. He was a friend of David's and um, I sat in a room with 20 people listening to him talk about the world economy. I mean, things like that, you don't, they just, you would never get to do it. It's, It is like magic. I mean, the whole game itself is magic and the people that surround it are magic. And it just is like being part of something so much bigger than you are. And that's the thrill of it.
0: Sam, I I got a question for you in that, you know, you were were with the Astros for such a long time. And, you know, as you kind of move throughout your career, if you walked down the street or you were, you were with your friends, I mean, that's probably who they knew you by, right. Was, Oh, you, she works for the Astros. How did you separate the identity of, of where you worked? And, you know, Andy and I talk about this all the time. It's um, you know, the, the, the loss of logo concept of, you know, how, you know, you were the president of the team, but, but was Pam outside of being the president of the team? How did you, how did you go about that?
2: Well, you know, that was hard because I was there all the time. But um, wherever you went, which is, I mean, I have to tell you, about three years ago I moved to Santa Fe, New Mexico, and didn't tell anyone what I did for a living. Um, uh, It was uh, – every time you go out, you check yourself. Do I look all right? I mean, because that is you and you can separate yourself, but you're still that, I mean, I would go out for a run and somebody I'd turn a corner and somebody would say, Hey, Pam. And of course they have advice as you know, but, <laughs> um, but um, it was hard to, to, to separate the two. And in fact, I think they just kind of melded together for so many years that it was um, it was a hard, hard, to separate that or to find my identity when i left i mean it was thrilling to do it but it was also um it was also hard to do because that's who i was uh, and yeah. and you're never home so that is who
0: <laughs> Pat, well we you have a did you have a similar experience
1: uh, well yeah i mean i look nobody can do this forever you know so the way i looked at it was you know i had a uh, uh I, I was privileged to be able to do it and make and make some things happen, make some mistakes along the way and do some things that I that were, that, you know, that that the community was proud of and I was proud of. And then you sort of hand it off to somebody else. And, um, you know, part of the reason why we're doing these podcasts is to sort of help let the next sort of generation of people who are doing it know that this is, you know, this is something that's accessible. I mean, you can you can do this. Um, yeah, the people who do these jobs, I used to always say that, you know, we're not 25 times more smarter than you are. We're no, not 25 we're not. times, you know, some, some would argue that, you know, that 25 that
2: times other, dumber, maybe. Yeah, I'm dumber <laughs> the other
1: direction, but, but you know what, it is a, uh, I, I think it's, we want to attract more people to consider this as something to do. And, you know, the, the sports management programs, I think, I think they're terrific. But I really do think that um, that they would be doing a better service to their uh, to the people in the schools to really talk about how do you how do you get a real job how do you start off with a real job and um, that's sort of the you know you don't want to go through a whole education and then not be able to to you know so, sort of have have a career path and that's well that's why we're doing this we we would like to people to think that this is accessible. And, and I think the other piece of it too is just to, you know, anybody along the way that wants to talk to you, um, an informational interview. Um, you know, I think I've probably done thousands of them, but yep. I, I, it's just more fun living that way. And Pam, I know you, you've always been that way.
2: Yep. Yep. I think it's important, but you know, that's so true what you say, because the expectations for um, a lot of young people is very high and you can get there. You just have to work hard, stick to it. I, you know, the other thing I always tell young people if you send, you know, don't just send a resume and let it sit and don't just send it to, you know, the president of the organization. They get 4,000 of them. Send it to the president, the head of marketing, send it to, you know, send mm-hmm. it to five different people in the company and then do it again two months later. Because, you know, I mean, as you know, Pat, you get hundreds of resumes. Well,
1: you do. And I, I always subscribe to the thing when somebody says no, that doesn't mean no forever. It right. just means no right now. That's you know, nice. I always I always said, it's, well, it's not really a no. It's maybe maybe it's a maybe. And, you know, <laughs> it could it could eventually be a yes. If, uh, you know, if you do it right. It's just you know what? It just makes it more fun uh, to be in it. And I think um, so, Jake, you want to wrap this up? How, how do
0: we? How yeah, do we do this? absolutely. And, and I will to, to, to your comment, Pat, uh, over the last two weeks, I actually have gotten some some messages on LinkedIn from um, some sports management students about, you know, Hey, I love your podcast. You know, would you, would you be able to connect? And and I just think the power of, of that is is so unique in that, you know, we, we are able to touch, you know, uh, people and, and be able to try and help and I'm actually having a conversation with someone next week already. So it's um, you know, whatever we can do to help. And I know that I've got a long, long, long ways to go to get to where you guys uh, were at you know, at one point, but I, I think it's to, a lesson to everyone that, you know, It's you know, you got to start somewhere, right? Yep. You got to start somewhere. It starts- and,
1: uh, Hey, Pam, thanks so much for doing this. We're, you know, it was uh, been looking forward to catching up with you anyway, but, you know, for you to, to let the listeners, uh, hear more about who you are and, and that, you, you know, you're a real person and, uh, <laughs> You I mean, know, I'm a you're, real you're, person yeah you a real person you are a real person so, i got anyway. i got
0: one last question for pam before before we sign off the the new logos and new uniforms that you had to um have throughout the astros uh regime were those all your decisions
2: no um I, you know they're they're never all uh, everything is never all your decision um uh no i mean the, that's a whole process unto itself it to be honest with you uniforms are driven by new ownership generally because they want their own mark and we did that once and uh we changed them a second time because drayton kept saying but i like red but i like red but i like red and i kept saying but we're not red we're blue and we're <laughs> orange and, and so finally i just said let's give them red and so we changed them to red and um, i actually love the uniforms that jim crane Did because they're retro. They kind of go back um, to the beginning, which I love. So the process of uniforms is very stressful because you have to go through Major League Baseball. There's lots of approvals. Um, I would say uniforms are decided by ownership. Pat, what would you say? Yeah,
1: I do too. I'd have to say, if you took a retrospective of the Houston Astros uniforms from the start to the finish, I mean, it was like, you know, it's like some of the people – some of those uniforms looked like you were on drugs, you know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah that's true. I mean, they were wild. and uh, but, I, I, but I do think it is a um, – it, uh, it, it ought to be something that – not only ownerships, but I – you know, when we did it a couple times, I'd actually sit down with some of our former play- – Willie Mays yeah. is one of the guys. He, he gave me a really great bit because I, I worked on the last uh, vestige of the Giants, and they went through the softball look and they went through a variety of looks – and I just—he didn't design them, but he gave me one little bit of, of a tidbit that actually really helped. Which was, you know, you go through the the materials, and it was—we used to have these like bright white uniforms, which were beautiful. But he said, you know, the uniform I played in wasn't because it was—it was either flannel or muslin or whatever. It was—it was actually more of a cream color. It wasn't a white. Right. He said, could could you go back to that? And we went to the uniform manufacturer, and they didn't have anything like that. So they actually had to make a special sort of a giant cream-colored Very uniform. far
2: on the edge again, Pat.
1: Well, no, we, we just, I just, <laughs> hey, you know what? If you listen to Willie Mays, he'll tell you what to do. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll,
0: lesson, I'll, lesson learned, just ask Willie, right? Yeah, uh, just a good listener, that's all. So, I have yeah. a
2: Willie Mays story I'll tell you sometime.
0: All right. Awesome. Well, Pam, thanks again for your time. Pat, always appreciate it. Uh, Pam, always welcome on uh, in, the, in the future to talk more. And um, looking forward to uh, getting this episode out to all of our listeners, which we have uh, surpassed 4,000 listeners. So uh, continuing to grow and um, looking forward to the, to the episodes to come. I thanks enjoyed, again.
2: I enjoyed it, guys. Thank you so much. Have thanks, Pam. Day. You're the best. You too.
0: Bye-bye. Bye-bye.